Hey everybody, after a long bunch of months, I'm back. This probably, if you're a prior subscriber, this probably popped up in your iTunes or your Spotify and uh, probably weirded you out like you forgot about me. <laughs> like I thought that guy was dead, but no, Sean's back. Creative Imbalance is back and we got a great episode for you today. Lots has happened. Reason why I stopped is um, downtime around the whole COVID situation. Uh, I realized there's a handful of things I needed to rebuild to really push this show to the next level. Um, I feel like with the type of guests I have lined up right now, I have recorded with and stuff that's going on in the future, um, it just needs an overall makeover and professional setup and that's what we've done new website we got a patreon and we also just got a youtube channel so if you're interested you can watch these interviews and uh see videos of me and my guests from now on but yeah we're returning in an epic way uh one of my biggest influences in media today we are joined with george strombolopoulos the legend from the punk show much loud the hour on CNN, Hockey Night in Canada, um, his career is insane. And what really inspired me in this interview is kind of hearing about his beginnings. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything because you're going to listen to it. But uh, wow, after this one, uh, I immediately just started wanted, wanting to work even harder. And yeah, we're really blessed to have uh, George on. And another thing prior to this, uh, he told me, off the mic that something really big was going to happen with him and then a week after uh he just announced he has a huge deal with apple music um i think he's on almost every day uh, i'm gonna have to double check that but um his web radio show has moved and is sponsored by apple music so you can check that out on there it's amazing he has so much heart and uh just knowledge of all genres and one of the best interviewers not only in this country um in the world in my opinion and also before we get into that i need to take a moment uh shout out a new sponsor and first things first if you're vegan plug your ears i'm sorry george i know you don't eat meat either <laughs> so uh the the timing on this one's kind of hilarious but anywho this episode is brought to you by The Meat Shop in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And The Meat Shop is the absolute best butcher shop in Southern Ontario. And that's not just me being biased because I go there, I enjoy it. But um, you can look on like Google review right now. There's, it says there's 64 reviews and almost Every one of the reviews are five stars out of five. So the meat shop, it is located at 4725 Dorchester Road in Niagara Falls, uh, Canada. And they got everything. I know the weather's about to get shitty. You guys are going to want to get a couple more barbecues in. And I'm telling you, you, if you, if you need some steaks, some chicken, some sausages, anything, you got to go check out the meat shop in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Also, a story about their quality. A very long time ago, I had a, a roommate, a shout out to Jack. And once I shopped at the meat shop and I got these honey garlic sausages and it blew his mind. 
me and Jack were living in Toronto and he loved them so much that when we were done, he went way out of his way to take a trip to Niagara Falls to get even more. Um, so again, that just tells you about how delicious the food is and this, all the staff is just wonderful and they've actually been doing something really cool too even uh creating pet food and this is taking the city of niagara falls by storm they have been making some of the freshest dog food you can buy and there is so much demand it is actually becoming a hard thing for them to keep up with all the customers who want this dog food. So yeah, um, believe the hype. And if you're in the Niagara Falls area and you're not a vegan, hop into the meat shop and tell Fred that we sent you. All right. But yeah, we're going to get back into this show. Um, hope you guys don't mind the ads. Uh, I want to let you know this is an independently funded show and every little bit goes a long way with with me um i actually appreciate so much that people want to advertise themselves on this episode and um even before we get into it um, i quickly want to say that uh each and every one of these episodes in the future they're all gonna be free but if you're ever looking to to get them a little earlier maybe a couple at once i want to let you know we just started a brand new patreon page and that is something um if you feel like showing some extra love and support to the show, that is available for you to do so. Um, our lowest tier is only $3, and you'll be getting tons of bonus content so early. And even I'm going to let you in on some secrets <laughs> and stuff like that. And uh, and yeah, yeah, so uh, it's only $3. And there's some other tiers uh, that are a couple dollars more, and you will actually be credited on this show as a co-producer in both the audio formats and have your name pop up at the end of the YouTube versions of these episodes. But uh, yeah, that's all I got to talk about business-wise. Let's get back to the core, The why I really love to do this. Again, it's been so long. I missed you guys. I missed sharing these interviews and stories with you guys. Um, and even... I want to let you know right now, we have seven episodes in the bank, and I'm continuing to record more. So uh, if you used to be a follower of the show and you came back, I want to thank you. It's about to get bigger and better. And if you're brand new, I want to say it's nice to meet you, and thanks for hopping along the ride. All right? But um, I think that's all I got to say right now. Let's get into this. Here's the living legend, George Strombolopoulos, coming at you right now. routine every Saturday as a, a young adolescent I would uh, skip uh, or like change the channel between much loud Saturday Night Live and Mad TV 
Amazing. And <laughs> I always remember this one segment in uh for the first time I heard Slayer Seasons in the Abyss and you pitched that and I was hypnotized to the fucking TV and I don't know if you were involved with the programming or whatever but I always uh credited George for uh for showing me Slayer and changing my life. Dude, I picked every video that went on loud. I picked every video that went on the punk show. There was a brief moment where my friend Alex, who was producing with me, picked songs, but we did it together. But much music, the bosses didn't see loud or the punk show until it went to air. And half the time, I would say 95% of the time, they never watched loud. It wasn't their thing. But when I was offered the job at much, it was to host the new music. And I had said to them, um, you know, sure, I love the new music, but I'm only going to take this job if I get to take and host loud as well. And nice. so they, they said, sure, if you want to. And because um, metal, as you know, is my thing. Yeah, but dude, you can see the best. Ooh, that south of heaven, like Slayer. I'm, I'm, I'm from that era where the big four were really to me. It's only the big three, two and a half, three. Mm-hmm. But that thrash sound of the 80s was so metal and, and Slayer. Oh, my God. You can, I flew to L.A. to watch the last Slayer show ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, right on, right on. That's I'm glad, Listen, of all the shows I've ever done in my career, the thing that makes me the happiest is when people say they watch Loud or the Punk Show. To me, that's, I'm seriously, like, I, don't, I had a talk show. I hosted Hockey Night in Canada. I was on scene. All that stuff, that's fine. And I'm, I'm grateful that, any, that anybody connects with me in any way. But when someone says they grew up watching Loud or the Punk Show, I feel like that's it. That's yeah. the connection I, I wanted when I was, from when I was a kid, sharing music like that. Oh, that's a that's amazing, man. And even like I can tell, like, um, or this is something I thought over the years as you were doing like the hour and um and hockey night in Canada too. I I was always thinking, oh, maybe George was just like a talking head for loud and everything. But it's cool to hear like that other side of it. But um, I can tell it's in your veins because even how you present your YouTube channel, uh, the the House of Strombo, you've had like Power Trip in your kitchen and Behemoth in your basement, and it's it's the real deal, man. It's oh no, dude, I'm metal as fuck, and that was the best part about being on the hour in Hockey Night in Canada. It was like there's about time there was a metal and punk guy, a metal punk person who had, who you know who who got lucky enough to be in those positions, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Music has always been the thing that drives me. Um, and so I love film as pretty much as much. But I, I've always felt like the music was the thing that kept me that kept me going, you know. And, you know, Hockey Night Canada, like on my own talk show, dude, we had, we, we did a whole episode on June 6, 2006 on the hour, which was, because it was 666, the date, we had the Black Pope, who is a Peter Gilmore, the head of the Church of Satan, was on. We had Tom Araya from Slayer on. Oh, shit. You name me one other news talk show on a news channel in the world that would do that. I know. And even like it's it's cool, too, because you um, with the hour, too, you uh, you became like beloved with so many different demographics. It wasn't no longer the punk and metal anymore. You just branched out into like. Um, and just kind of, in my opinion, became like this Canadian national treasure of interviewing. And you've talked to everybody from directors to musicians. And over um, the years of doing the hour, is there like one specific uh, segment that pops out in your brain or a, a, even like beyond the hour, a special like interview that's been your all time favorite? You know, there's not one there, there, because there's so many, you know, interviewing Patty Smith 
interviewing um, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox is a, a, a philosopher, and when you get into his sphere, he's really amazing. So John Waters was incredible to interview. I remember I interviewed June Callwood, this really important social activist in Toronto, and uh, she was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. She was nearing the end and wanted to do one last interview. And so we did it a few days before she went into palliative care, and that was really heavy. Oh, wow. that, like, that I really enjoyed that experience as a human being, like to have that kind of, when you strip away all the bullshit and all the artifice of life and you have two people just talking about something so real, that, that really resonated with me. Um, we once did an entire episode of the show. This is not nearly as serious, but it was to me. Maybe my favorite thing was that every single person on the show that night, every guest, every segment was at one point on the wire. So oh, no I interviewed Omar from The Wire, right? Uh, and Lance Reddick, who played Lieutenant Daniel. So we had Michael Kay and Lieutenant Daniel was on. And also uh, one of the guys who wrote episodes of The Wire. So we built our entire show around The Wire. Another thing that no other late night talk show will ever, has ever done or would do. So that show really stands out to me because, you know, the, when you want to talk about representation, right? The Wire was a show that gave so many black actors an opportunity to excel and take a look at all these amazing shows that people watch right now. And so many of those actors, it was The Wire, where they where they really gained um, they really gained a foothold mm -hmm. in the industry. And so we were on The Wire tip from day one. And so you know, bumping like that to me that that sort of stands out as one of those episodes where it was like a personal victory. Where I was like, man, we've had prime ministers and everybody and presidents on this show. But there was a night where we did everybody who was on the wire. <laughs> to me, that's one of the moments. Oh, that's amazing, too. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to hear like, because um, I wasn't sure uh, how much of the creative freedom you had with the hour as well. But um, I actually had a, I did a segment with uh, Ed the Sock on the show a couple of years ago. And he was telling me about like um, the old era of much music and just Canadian media in general, how... Like in the 90s, it was kind of like the Wild West and even you kind of talking about loud and everything, how you programmed the show and they didn't even watch it. Apparently, it's uh, it's interesting how things changed. It really was the Wild West. You know, we but but and I'm sure Ed brought this up. It was the Wild West, except we on much music weren't out there pillaging the neighborhoods. We were actually empowering and protecting the neighborhoods. So that's the, we were, we were on the right side, you know, and I was just lucky enough to be able to use the devil's music to do it. But yeah. we, we had so much fun, but we had so much freedom at that place. But we also had was an enormous responsibility. Like, you know, the, the fuckery of people on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and on YouTube where they do whatever they want, like cats like Jake Paul and all that. And I don't know Jake, but you know how there's always a controversy? Yeah, yeah. We would never have existed on much music because we would have beat the shit out of somebody who went on the air and disrespected the opportunity and was also so exclusive as opposed to being inclusive. Yeah, right? Yeah. So at much we had a really big responsibility on us. We had producers we worked with who expected us to be legitimate citizens, better citizens. We didn't have to toe the line. We didn't have to fit in. We weren't part of the establishment even though from the outside it sure looked that way because it was a company, but it was a family run company at the time, right? It was run by Chum and there was still a Waters family that ran it. 
it wasn't a big conglomerate by any stretch. So we really got like the dude who owned the company used to jog into work and we'd just go sit down and chat in his office. Like it was still that. Yeah. Uh, that's the only place I've ever worked where it was so you could tell it was special. Like there's bullshit in every company, but not nearly as much there. Like you could tell it was special. And we fought hard for people. We created a really inclusive environment long before people were talking about it as a media responsibility. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, I yeah, man, it was it really was incredible. I kind of look back sometime and think, I don't know what I did in a past life to be so lucky as to have that five years that much music, but I was so lucky. Yeah, there was such a special uh, energy from it too, and like from the host to just the presentation to it used it was like a lot of fun and um yeah it's just kind of crazy like walking down like john street now and it just kind of feels just dead you know like the reason why it's the reason why i started house of strombo so before much i used to work at a radio station in toronto called the edge and the edge used to have a storefront studio on eaton center at the eaton center it was right at the corner essentially uh, the intersection of young and shooter so I used to do a show called Live in Toronto out of there and Thursday 30 with the late great Martin Streak. And we had open doors. So people would come in and just hang out with us. Even if there wasn't a band, they would come to see their band, but they would also come just to hang out. You could tell a lot of kids didn't want to go home, didn't have a great home life, kids who were unhomed or in compromised situations, or just people just shopping in the mall who it was their first trip downtown with their mom and they were 12, but they would come in and you could see their eyes starting to open up a little bit as to what kind of city there really is out there. Oh, if you yeah. to get away. So we had a really neat environment. And I remember when I got there, there was like posts and ropes, like staunch and set up. Right. And I remember I'd go in to do my show and I would take them all down. Boom. Take them all down. If you're, you want to come sit at the desk with me, you sit at the desk with me, you can do the show. You're welcome. So I used to do the show like that. That was in the nineties. Then 99, I get hired at much music and much music as you remember was bonkers for that. Um, it still had the doors the windows but people would knock on the windows and you'd come out and you'd beat them it was a really inclusive place but you could come down and meet your favorite bands mm -hmm. and we thought that was really important you know we we're covering elections and all kinds of shit so one day i was wandering down young street i passed the edge and it's like i don't know what it turned into like some kind of fucking discount cutlery store or something i don't know what it is or bath and beauty <laughs> yeah. products or some bullshit that feeds people's insecurity and i walked down it and I looked at them and I was like, oh, you Malacas. Then I made a right turn onto Queen Street and I was walking down Queen Street and I passed much music. And so I was already in that sort of angry headspace of how the fuck did these guys ruin what we tried so hard to build? And then I passed much music and they had boarded up the windows. Now they're doing a show called The Social and good for them. I don't know the show, but good for them, right? But it's not. It's still another exclusive environment in that you're not welcome. Yeah, right? yeah true. Where kids across, and it's also for older people, whereas kids across the country needed a place to feel connected, especially in the era of social media where most people are filtered in bullshit and how they present themselves or when they're being real, it's still kind of, kind of not real. Yeah. And I was like, man, much music and the edge. I was like, fuck you. You don't know how hard everybody worked to make this place, to make Canadian youth feel like they were welcome. And I don't care what anybody says, the other shit that's doing that now doesn't do that. Yeah. Right? Not the way much did. And so I, I honestly was like, fuck you, the edge. Fuck you, much. I was so fucking mad that I got on the phone. So I had to walk another 10 minutes to get to my house. I got on the phone and I called a couple of friends and I said, fuck it, we're doing it at my house. Love that. 
I love that so much, man. We're going to have bands. And, I, and they were like, cool, we're going to have bands. I said, no, 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 we're going to have bands, but we're going to invite the public in. And they're like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. So I went on Instagram live when I was in Montreal one morning. I got on Instagram and I went, hey, if you like Jimmy World, holler at me. Yeah. People started emailing me yeah. and I wrote them back. And I was just like, yeah, meet me at this park. And the park was right beside my house. And I just met like 40 people. I was like, come on in. And fucking Jimmy World's in my living room. And I played and people's faces were, what? Oh, man. That, that makes my heart so warm. <laughs> like, you know. It was because I was mad at the edge and much. Now, listen, I'm not mad at the people there because business has changed and the audience has changed and blah, blah, blah. But I'm mad at the, at the bullshit that, that, that kind of created that space. So yeah. I was like, oh, fuck it. I, it. I have skin in the game. So, if, you know, as a metal guy, you would appreciate this. I, was, I, w- I went to Standing Rock, right, during um, when there was that big, uh, um, the big resistance. So some friends and I went to Standing Rock, not on any official capacity, just to help. So we were there, uh, it was winter as all hell, as cold as I've ever been. Um, and I'm there for a little while and then I get, a, I get a message say, yo, how long would it take you to get back to Toronto? And I'm, I'm there in my fucking pickup truck, right? Yeah. With a friend, with a couple of friends, they're like, um, oh, we'll leave tonight. So there was a concert happening, a fundraiser Jackson Brown, Bonnie Raid. It was really quite lovely. They were playing the words and the magic of John Trudeau. So I get in, I think my friend Will, it was his truck at the time. Um, we just haul ass all night from South Dakota, all night. How many hours does that take? I don't even remember, but here's what I do know is that 10 o'clock in the morning, out of my mind, exhausted. We pull into my driveway. I go inside. I really quickly just wash my face brush my teeth, I go downstairs, the Uber pulls up and fucking James Hetfield gets out. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought, you know, my first Metallica cassette when I was 12, you know, I think at the time it was Ride the Lightning I got and then Kill em All. I yeah. bought a bootlegs for five bucks. <laughs> I just stood there, considering the night before I was just freezing cold in South Dakota. And I think it was in it for, I don't remember how many hours it was, but it was a straight drive. And, uh, and there's Hetfield coming in. Yeah. Even the, with the lack of sleep, it must have felt like, am I dreaming right now? Is this happening? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's hard to explain to people who aren't from the era. It's really hard for people to comprehend what Hetfield means and what that band did. Like, people don't realize that the biggest band in the world was a metal band who never had a second of a song on the radio, never had, to that point, hadn't shot a video never had an ounce of mainstream press and there was no internet. There is no band in the history of the world who has pulled off what Metallica did by fucking word of mouth. They were selling out every continent. Right? Yeah, they put a show in Antarctica. It was viral before uh, like the internet, you know, just people trading tapes. And totally. There's nobody. I mean, the Grateful Dead were on the radio and played Woodstock, right? Yeah. Like the Beatles were... The media were all over them. Drake is all is the media is all over Drake, and I love all those artists. Nobody in history has done what Metallica did, and and to be twelve and fourteen at that time, that's like your band, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it's yeah just, so when Headfield came up, for sure, yeah. yeah. When Headfield walked up, I was just like, I remember just like this, my arms crossed, like, 
holy fuck, this is awesome. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're real. You're actually in, in, in kind of like the same vein. I used to work for an AV company and, uh, on their hardwire tour, um, I uh, got an email just like, hey, do you want to set up for Metallica? And it was the fastest email I ever responded to. The lady who like books it was laughing. She was like, I've never got a response like this. It's like my phone buzzed and it just said Metallica. I'm getting goosebumps right now. <laughs> and I just write away. Uh, no, it wasn't. Unfortunately, it was the, it was the Rogers Center one. But uh, were you at the Opera House one? I was at the Opera House one. Yep, yep. And I, 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 I don't know how many times I've seen Metallica, but I've seen Metallica in every decade since they've been around. And um, uh, it's still, you know, it's like a big stadium shows, right? Like U2 kills every time live. Coldplay kills every time live. Different kinds of shows. Um, but Metallica live, oh my God. Yeah, it's an experience. It's like three and a half hours. And, just... and because it goes heavy. Because, because especially as Metallica's gotten older, and this is why I love the Saint Anger era of Metallica, is because a lot of people said to go, "Oh, fuck Saint Anger!" What are you crazy? That's the that's the album which brought them back to mm-hmm. that insane tinny drum, mental. That's the thank God for that record. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like a release where like they pretty much like had the heart of a grunge album, just like, "Oh, we don't give a fuck," just like. <laughs> let's not mix it who cares totally metallica were brutal and they were top of the charts yeah nobody else could do that actually one of my favorite sets was um a couple years back at uh, heavy mtl and it was metallica but it was all fan voted online oh wow basically just the first four albums like shuffled but they played stuff they've never like played before too, which was amazing. And it was just like, oh man. That's how James, you know, when I did, I'd interviewed James once before at much, but that's uh, twice actually. But that's how James kind of bought into me was he had made some random reference from some like obscure Metallica 80s tune. And I knew the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did, I'm from then, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah no, I, I love, I love that band so much. Oh, that's. That's cool to hear, like your your kind of your past. I was actually gonna ask you how you got into metal and stuff like that. So that's that's really fucking cool. And um, I kind of want to jump into more about um the media side of your life because, like like I mentioned, I said I know you from Much Loud, but uh, I don't know the George before that. Um, did you go to school to do this? Did you? Yeah, I was um I was a movie theater usher, uh, in the eighties. And so I thought I was going to make films. I wanted to be a director. But you know what? The truth is I'm not that ambitious a guy. And I wasn't that ambitious a kid either. Like I grew up in the West Side. So I don't know. Um, where are you? What neighborhood are you in? I'm uh, Gerard and Broadview. So I'm a West Side boy. So Jana Wilson, Chalk Farm, um, Rexdale, Malton. So I'm from the sort of sketchier, compromised West Side, right? And I don't know what other people I grew up with felt like. But most of the kids in my, like, we didn't have plans or dreams like we didn't have we don't get careers we had jobs right yeah yeah my grandmother my mother expected me to be a bus driver or to work on the ford assembly line plant like my father and my grandfather did so i didn't have any aspirations to a career it was not even a thought in fact i never even thought about going to university right so i didn't go to university i didn't apply i could never have afforded university so there was no chance in the world um but I was working at this movie theater as an usher and I wanted to make films. I just didn't know how to do it. And that back then, as you recall, it was pre-democratized technology. 
you weren't shooting a movie on a digital camera. There was no digital cameras. There was a fucking high debt, you know, that shit. But yeah, yeah. We, nobody had a super eight. Like we didn't know that was not in the, in the wheelhouse, but I wanted to make films. And I, so I was this usher as a teenager. Um, And right beside the movie theater I worked at in the Woodbine center, this mall there was a, uh, an adult learning center for Humber college. And I went to go get a course calendar there because I wanted to get my motorcycle license as a teenager. And I knew that you could do that at Humber for 200 bucks, 213 actually. And as I took the course calendar home, I saw radio production and radio broadcasting. And I thought, well, I've always wanted to be on the radio, but it would never, there was no way to get on the radio. How do you get on the radio? Everybody I talked to said, I just, well, I just walked in. And I'm like, bullshit, that's not how this works, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you've, I'm sure you've come across this too. People mythologize their path often. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that. So, and I didn't believe in it then. So I just said, oh, fuck it. I'll just apply to radio and whatever. And, but my school grades were terrible and I didn't have any money. So I was working at this movie theater and the, so my, uh, the, the tuition was 900 bucks, but I, I got called out of a meeting. So there was like this cattle call meeting and I sat at a, de- at a desk. There was like 50 kids in this thing. I don't know how old it was, 18. Oh, by the way, I joined the army as well at this time. So, yeah, so I just thought maybe I'll do that. And then I was just like the reserves, but I was like, fuck it. Yeah, I'll join the reserves and let's see what happens. And then the the head of the radio course sat down and said, so you're George. Yes. Why do you want to be in radio? I, you know, I I don't know. I just think I could be good. I didn't have like music or whatever. I don't remember what I said. Cool. That was it. Honestly, dude, my meeting with Humber was four seconds long. Wow. And that's not an exaggeration, like fucking four seconds. So I got out and I, I walked down um, Highway 27 to go to the Woodbine Center where I was working at the theater because it was right next door. It took a while. I go to a pay phone at the, uh, by, the, by the theater and I call my mom and I go, yeah, well, that, I'm not getting in. Because <laughs> at a four-second meeting, that's not, I'm not going. Anywhere. Yeah, they, they just screen you. It's like, next. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Which I get it. I wouldn't let me in either. And <laughs> I got a fucking letter in the mail saying you're coming to Humber. And I went, oh shit, I guess so. But I didn't really try or care the first year. And somewhere around that beginning of that second year, I thought, ah, fuck it. I'm paying for this. I might as well. And then I got a job in a pirate. My friend built a pirate radio transmitter, an illegal one, set it up inside a broom closet of a shopping mall, the Albion Mall in Rexdale. (laughs) And it was this really tiny wattage one, but pre-internet, right? So he actually stole the plans to how to build a transmitter. He was a biker. I was a biker. We built it. And then he's like, I need a DJ. I went, fuck it. I'll do it. That's sick, man. <laughs> that's how I started my career. Right. And then I did that. And then I went up to Kelowna to work and I, I hosted a metal show in Kelowna in the early nineties called uh, high voltage. And when I got there, it was like a metal show that played Steve Vai. all due respect. It's great. I love Steve. Vai. But when I got there, it was fucking biohazard hate breed, you know, like hate breed is one of my bands. Right. And then, and, and uh, Voivod and fucking Slayer. So I turned into a Super Satan show by that point, right? I was playing, <laughs> I was playing Anton LaVey clips and things like that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, at that time, I still kind of loved King Diamond. So I was playing King Diamond and I, it was, you know, Deicide, I think, is kind of bullshit, but I liked it. Yeah, yeah. It's heavy, you know? <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Okay, it's heavy and I think he's full of shit, but I dig it in a way. I love the Misfits. I was playing the Fits in there too. 
Uh, then I got a job in, in Toronto when I was 20, abroad in Hollywood, maybe 21, 22. I got a call to become a technical operator at the fan. They just launched the sports station. Oh, cool. So I came back and I did that. Uh, and then my career just kind of kept going. Yeah. It's like you, you, you got the ball and then you just ran with it. Well, this is it, right? I have, I don't have any more talent or skill or any of that than anybody else. But what I do have is I am relentless. And like that Mitch Hedberg joke, man, I'm like playing tennis against a wall. You know, like I am relentless. Yeah. And, and I'm, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm 47 years old and I'm, I still have the energy and the passion and the drive that I had when I started. So like, I still work at that same pace. I, that part of me never faded. You know, it's in fact, it's fucking hotter than it's ever been. Right. Um, so I got lucky that, and also what I do, I got lucky that I got breaks that people who had no reason to give a shit about me or to take an interest in me, gave me a break. And I, and you know, in anybody's career, you need a series of breaks and you have to make the most of them, but you still have to have those breaks. And I got a lot of breaks from people who just looked at me and said, Oh, fuck that kid. He works hard. <laughs> you know, oh, give him yeah. a shot. Yeah, I understand that too. And I always felt like I related to you a lot. And you've actually been like a big influence on my media life. But now like even hearing your whole story, it's like uh, very similar to mine. Like I just basically didn't know what I was doing, picked up a video camera one day, moved to Toronto. It was like 10 years ago and just kind of just working with like a lot of different underground artists and scenes and long, long story short, it kind of turned into like this podcast of me telling all these stories from the scenes. And it's uh, now it's growing where I get to talk to like some of uh, my heroes and influencers like yourself and shit like that. So I don't know, it's been wild, but it's there was never a plan, you know, it was just kind of figuring out uh, like, what I wanted to do and when I didn't know what I wanted to do. Totally. You have to, you, and also there's this weird bullshit that I don't know what your family situation, what your environment, your neighborhood situation was like, but there was this weird bullshit that people put on young people saying, what do you want to do for a living? Yes. It's a stupid fucking question in the world to ask a 15 year old, unless you're just trying to engage them and get them to think about it, then it's cool. But my mother never asked me what I wanted to do for a living. I think once my mother looked at my report card in my life, my mother cared deeply about me, but my mother always said to me, um, where you work is irrelevant if you're not the kind of person that you should turn into, right? Mm. Be a good person, be a humble person. Yeah. But she kept, she never, so I never grew up with any pressure to achieve anything. Nobody expected fuck all. And I still think I'm that guy right so i don't no matter what and i know i like i recognize i've had a very pretty pretty dynamite career in that and most people have never had a chance to host metal show and a punk show host their own late night talk show in canada and then host hockey night in canada like there's not that many people that ever get to do that if any right yeah no you're you're the you're the only one i know of at least so yeah i get it right but in my head i'm still that guy working at the movie theater thinking fuck maybe one day i'll make a film you know you talked about getting a camera so when I got that job at Much, I was so broke, like I was so broke. I was living with this, with this girl and the two of us couldn't afford any furniture. So we took a futon mattress frame from the garbage that we saw thrown out, just the wood slats. We put a sheet on it and we would sleep on a sheet. We weren't even together. We would just like would sleep close to each other to keep warm because we had no heat. Like we were broke as fuck. And oh, wow. And living in Toronto, like crazy broke. And 
but but it it sort of reinforces this idea that yo yo you got to go scrap for everything you get it's a fight right so i get this job at much so i signed out a video camera from them i don't think i've ever returned it i might still have it <laughs> that's gonna be in like a canadian museum like for media one day maybe fuck yeah <laughs> i signed this video camera out I shouldn't admit this, but I'll say because who cares? It was a lot. I'm, I'm sure I'm past the statute of limitations. I didn't know how to edit. Um, I got a cracked video software code. I bought a computer with all the money I had. So I would take that fucking camera. I'd walk down the street to Queen and Bathurst to the cathedral or the reverb where punk and metal bands would play. I'd walk in there with a much music microphone and a fucking camera. And I would pick a kid going, yo, yo, hey, film this. Boom. They would film the interview I would do with the metal or the punk band. That's so cool. I would go back home to, to, to my home, which was like, honestly, a six minute walk from the cathedral to the reverb. I would go home. I would plug the camera into my computer, which was in my living room. And I taught myself to edit. Part of the reason why the punk show looked the way it did and live looked the way it did, that looked like, oh, fuck, it looks cool. Yeah, bro, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just <laughs> on the fly. It's also pre-Google, like really Google. So I couldn't even learn how to fucking do it. So it was all just going through all the menus. I would edit the show. I would then take it to Much Music. I would hand it to an editor and I would say, okay, add these videos. Because he had the videos. He would add the videos. I would put it onto one tape. I would take the tape, walk downstairs in the basement of Much Music, hand it to the person at what was called Master Control. They would put it in another machine, press play. That's what you watched. It would go that. It would go out like that. That's sick. That's how, much, that's how we did loud. That's how we did Loud on the Punk Show. My friend Alex Liu and a guy called The Doc, Michael Emberley, we just fucking, that's how, so it was all just, we, we took shit, we figured shit out, we didn't know shit. And, but at the end of the day, what we did know, and this is what nobody could take away from us, was we knew the music. Mm, right? Yeah. We knew yeah. the music. So if you know the content, and you know it to the place where no one could know it as much as you did. Obviously, like metal and punk, there are hardcores who know more about certain things. But we knew the fucking music. And so... We knew what to play, when to play, how to play, but just our, our delivery was so on brand because it was actually on brand. It was, we hadn't thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was who we were. Yeah. That's, that's fucking punk rock right there, man. Just like, instead of like, just waiting for permission to do something or even like learning all the chops or whatever, it's like, that's always been the spirit. You want to make a song, just do it. And like, I love how you took that influence and put it into a television show. And it, it reminds me also of a, like a, another Canadian legend, Tom Green, when he would do the shit on the, his cable access, like not waiting for a shot, just doing it. Like Tom Green um, is one of the greatest exports we've ever had. I went to, as a, as a friend, I just want to hung out at his house when he did an interview. And uh, when he had his talk show in his living room, Stone Cold Steve Austin came by, which was fucking crazy. Oh, Tom Green is that guy. His old Cable 10 show, we used to watch it because Rogers Cable 10 in Toronto picked it up. And we were blown away. I was living with this, my buddy, was a guy called Adrian Conte, a guy I went to high school with. So we would just sit there and fucking drink and eat bullshit chips and fries. We'd go to the Big Slices. If you're from a certain part of Toronto, the Big Slice, we'd eat yeah, Big legendary. Slices. Watch Tom Green. And we were just like, when he painted his folks' house plaid, like all that shit. Yeah. It was pre Jackass and YouTube and Yep. Yeah, totally. No, Tom is Tom is unbelievable. You know, it's funny though, because that like I said, that never changed, and I hope and I hope it never changes for you. 
I, I, when I decided to have bands in the house, I was like, okay, I can't convince big bands to come in the house. I can convince my friends who I've known over the years, but at some point that's going to run out. So I thought, I really want to get the cult to play here. I want to get, you know, Behemoth. I want to get Against Me because I loved Against Me's old, old early DIY videos. And they were very inspirational to me in terms of how to do it. So I go to uh, I go to Coachella one day and I'd, I'd you know you slide an artist pass off of somebody and I slept it on my arm. <laughs> I I went backstage and I see the fucking cult play. So I wait side stage and Ian comes off and he knew me from Toronto. So uh, and I have a, such mad love for the cult that. He's like, hey, Strombo. I'm like, Ian, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, we're coming up to Canada. I said, yo, man, you need to play a concert in my living room, right? He said, fuck, we'd love to. And that was it. Then I left and I went, cool, fuck. How do I even do that? <laughs> yes. I love how you're still doing that, too. Right. So this is like, you know, I'm like, fuck, how do I even do that? But I also knew that I knew how to make a music show. But what I didn't have, I didn't have a team that had, who had ever worked on much music. They didn't know that. So what we did is I came home and I said, okay, let's book a bunch of bands and you're all going to learn. We're going to, because the cult's going to say is going to do this. Now this was like a year had passed. We'd done a whole bunch of bands. I hadn't sort of forgot that Ian had said that. I get this <laughs> random fucking text message going, yo dude. And it's from a friend of mine who ran this label in Canada. He goes, I said, oh, hey, what's up? He's like, oh, we just signed the cult. I said, cool. Ian said the only thing he wants to do is play your living room. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, cool. All right, so let's book it. So we booked it. Then I interview Nurgle from Behemoth. He comes to do an interview at the house. And I said to him, I love that one. You should play my house. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, maybe one day. But he, he later told me he wasn't going to do it. So that's fine. Lots of people say yes, and they don't really back it up. That's cool. Yeah. Then I bump into, so then the cult comes, plays. We tried to book the kills. The kills, people said no. But we invited them to the cult show because the cult played. At the end of it, the kills people went, oh, we're fucking totally doing this. Then the kills did it. Then I was randomly in LA and I get a message from Brian Slagle who runs Metal Blade Records. You know, of course he had Metallica on the comp. And he's like, and I didn't know him personally, but we knew each other by social because he loved hockey and he knew I loved metal and all that. So I go to this dinner and fucking Nurgle is right there. <laughs> and I was like, hey bro, you, um, you came into my house, you did an interview. He's like, oh yeah. He goes, wait a minute, that cult concert. I saw it, I love the cult. We wanna do that. Ah, nice. Dude, come on in. Everything connects. <laughs> totally, and, but, but even in my 40s, having done it for a long time and having a pretty good run, I still go that way. You still have to, because the media is a strange thing, right? And at the end of the day, you gotta do all the work yourself and your team have to do the work and you still might not get the shot but at least you'll have had a good time. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I think is really important. I looked around and fucking the cults are playing She Sells Sanctuary in my living room. I'm just like, boss. <laughs> yeah. And I reached out to some friends from high school who I haven't seen since high school. And on Facebook went, yo, remember when we used to talk about the cult a lot? They'd be like, totally. And I said, come to my house. Here's the address tomorrow at noon. So my friends who I haven't seen for fucking decades, Hey, what's up? Thanks for the invite. And fucking Ian Asprey walks in. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That shit makes me happy, man. Yeah, that's that made my heart warm so much that you even like remembered uh like kind of like the people like who've like influenced that music on your life and shit like that and just, just every show we did. Yeah. Every show we did had somebody 
who I remembered loved this. Because what is the point? Like, like I said off the top, what is the point of having these ball in opportunities if you don't look at them not as yours, but as the thing to share? Yeah. Most of my career is I've been in a good spot because the things that I have been given, I don't hang on to. It's not my, it's, they're not mine. They're not yours. You know, the benefits you get, all the shit that we know we want from being in the public eye, you're going to get them anyway. But the thing that they're gifting you is not yours. Yeah. Pass it on. Yeah, it's true. And even like, um, as I think of your whole career and even what I loved about like the hour and loud, I can go on and on. But um, what you're doing is just sharing dope shit and stories of people. And um, I'm learning on like a very smaller level that um, I'm getting so much, um, I don't know, inner joy out of giving to people these experiences. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's, it's cool to hear like uh, your side. You know that line, service never slumps. So no matter what you're going through, provided you have a, you are capable of getting up and going outside, some people can't and that's okay. But to be in service of others never slumps. Your, your time will come, you will get the bounce. You might not get the bounce for fucking years, but in that time, if you are out there in service of others or of something connecting, then a, you're filling up the time with good shit and you're helping people and you're not doing it for you. You're doing it because it's your fucking duty. Mm -hmm. And then when the bounce comes your way, all these skills you've built up, not even knowing you were building up skills are going to be the thing that helps you get to that next step. Yeah, definitely. I also think there's like a lot of power in just being genuine and just having really good intentions like it bleeds off into the segments too like to use your uh house of strombo as an example too it's funny to hear that you said like your your filming team didn't know what they were doing at first but uh, me as a filmer like i commend those shows because i see a lot of like live concerts like on video and it doesn't have the energy but all of like your segments, it feels like I'm in your kitchen, in your living room, in your basement. And that's, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like you have these intentions you want to push out before you even start editing and stuff where. When I, I really, I could have told the team how to do it. And I did. And here's what I want. Right. But I want, cause I also cared about, you know, my fam, all right. My team. And I wanted them, I knew their careers would be better if they could learn this the right way. Meaning reps, you just got to get reps, right? And watching them, especially because a lot of the cats that I worked with that I had hired, in fact, all of them, they just didn't get, the metal and punk wasn't their thing, right? They were either into hip hop, uh, R&B, um, synth pop, or you know, yeah. And you showcased a lot of that as well too. On the show. Yeah, we did for sure. Yeah. And well, you know why? Cause Hey, I like a lot of those artists, but also, and also we like the guys on our team and women on our team who liked, you know, guys who haven't shaved in four days who play guitar about how much they miss you, you know, that kind of stuff. So we, 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 because that was also what was, you know, I couldn't convince big metal bands to come to the house to play a show yet. Cause we weren't ready. Right. We weren't ready to do that. So when the team learned it, it almost worked out perfectly that we got behemoth because I, I remember saying to them, okay, so I want to build 
inverted crosses inside and I want inverted crosses outside on the house and I want the lights to be off. Yes. Want and then I want the fuck and then everybody who comes in the house has to wear corpse paint. But by this point, nobody on my team thought I was talking crazy shit. They was like, "That's fucking George." All right. <laughs> so I wouldn't let anybody in without corpse paint, right? Yeah. Me, the, the crew, everybody corpse paint, and so there, it's fucking hilarious to me because there's this mo and I knew that the the, the director was a guy called Harbinder, who's my bro, and he is grew, grew up in the same neighborhood as me. He was a, a shooter on. Hockey Night in Canada, but also he shot the big jib camera on my talk show. And then when we had an opening for a director, uh, I, I said, you're the guy. And he hadn't directed at that level. I'm like, you're the guy. You're the guy. You come up with me, right? We do this together. And, and he's like, cool. And then I said, okay, so I got this show, this metal show. And I knew he didn't know the music, right? But I knew he's a great shooter. And I also wanted a couple people on the team who didn't fully know the history of the band because I wanted to see what they would catch surprisingly. Because if you know it, you know what you're looking for, right? Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, this solo's coming up or whatever, but you can catch like people or whatever. Yeah. It's totally. really cool. So be, so he sits up, right? He's got this, uh, uh, the, him and this, he's sitting beside me here. The other guy that he brought on board, and they had, I think they'd started a business together earlier, shooting weddings when they were young, right? Amazing. Uh, and they got the camera, and he's got a Roman camera which spins, right? And so the fucking my curtains be projected on these hell flames. A little bit of fog machine going in the house. And then all you hear is this drone behemoth. You know, <laughs> it's the it's same. Which right? yeah. is the best one. And, and then the band comes up the stairs from my basement and they're wearing all that stuff and the fucking makeup and the hats and shit. And they look super badass. And, but my shooters are mega pro. So they're like this, right? They're ready to shoot. They're ready to shoot. And then you, you hear this like, Behemoth is about loneliness and all this stuff. And they're just like, they're in the pocket, in the pocket. But they don't know what blackened death metal sounds like. Amazing. <laughs> this moment where I, just said to them, I said, okay, when the guitars hit, because I knew the song, the singer's going to start singing right away. And just be there for that. I swear to God, dude, it was the, it was like one of the moments because it might've been my favorite moment of my career in this, in this 40 minutes in my house, because <laughs> and then they like, start, start screaming and the fucking camera operator's right there on his face. And he just looks at me like this. He goes, <laughs> and the other shooter beside me, Harb, who's directing it is standing up top and Harb just looks at me and he just goes, <laughs> that must have been even more fun than watching the band seeing the reactions <laughs> oh, because i knew too that we hadn't even unveiled the the inverted cross and the band didn't know so we built this big satanic cross above their head and like two-thirds of the way through the show is where's my actual career highlight so i'm sitting on the subwoofer in my living room and i'm just sitting there and the band has been fucking brutalizing our ears with this music for 35 minutes or whatever or 29 minutes it's just fucking so metal and i'm so into it and everybody's blown away because you never get to see a band like this. Yeah, especially in a basement too. Like yeah, totally. It was actually my living room and kitchen. So my living room and kitchen. And um, there's this moment where the, 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 the song breaks down and Nurgle just says, and I, you should go watch this. It's like 29 something. Nurgle says, all right, Toronto, legions of Toronto. We had a great fucking privilege playing with you here tonight, right? We are behemoths from Poland. 
stay strong, we will return. And then he just yells, Hell, Satan! <laughs> Sean, I was just sitting there like this, and I just went, this is it. Like, I just, I knew it. I knew it that I'll never have this moment again. The band kicks in, the camera operators catch them in full fucking synchronicity, and then the smoke machines blow up, and then the red cross built in my ceiling lights up upside down, and, I, and the flames, and I'm just looking at all this going, I don't believe in an afterlife, but if there is one, I just hit it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just hit it. <laughs> I can't even imagine like the goosebumps you must have got, like with uh, just that being in your house and that band is. Like, oh my! And it's God. hard to explain to people because you well you know this because you love the music, but like I said, I've had a lucky career and I've done big things and I've done small things and I've done things that have worked really well. And I've done things that have bombed big time, and none of it like the the wins and the losses are whatever. I don't really care because it's a long term thing. But in that moment, the the twelve year old, I guess it would have been about. 18 when I got into the Norwegian stuff, right? The black metal and of course the Swedish death metal and all that. But the 12 year old was still in me when Nurgle chants hail Satan. And then the next thing I thought was, I'm my mother's a born again Christian. I'm so grateful she's not on the internet and doesn't have a cell phone and no one can tell her what just fucking happened here. Yeah. <laughs> it would destroy her. It would absolutely fucking destroy her. But it was... I've, I've never felt, I've never felt that in the pocket. Then when, when Nurgle chanted that, the smoke and the cross and the people and the fucking guitars and only a metalhead would really know. Yeah. That, yeah. Cause it was so thick that, you know, oh fuck, he killed me. Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's amazing too. And even if, if for people, if they're watching this and uh, don't follow metal music or whatever too, what's interesting about that band too, it's, um, he even says like um just the whole symbolism of s satan and everything it doesn't mean he actually believes in the devil it's just a metaphor for freedom which is beautiful so beautiful yeah real satanists don't actually believe in satan there yeah, is no, yeah. there's no satan there's a great documentary on it on netflix right now too oh, the hell satan one yeah 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 they're just they're just trolls like you know it's I, when I interviewed the head of the Church of Satan, he said, we're just extreme atheists who have a better flair for drama, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, even like, um, like you, like, it's cool, like how you've always, like, you you're so connected to your roots of everything. And um, when you were on like CNN or Hockey Night in Canada, do you ever like stop and think of the moment when you were just pirating like radio in a closet and like... Or do you get caught up in the big production or whatever? Because that's that's so inspiring to me that like your whole journey through this and how that's like the beginning seed of everything. Uh, yeah, no, it's I never I'm always. And maybe this is what it is when you grow up a neighborhood boy, you're always from your neighborhood. So no matter what you do, right, you're always the neighborhood kid. Uh, so I think, you know, I'll no matter. And I've had some pretty ridiculously lucky experiences in my life for sure and i have been granted much privilege because of it i so i'm i know that i live a different life but my dna is my is the neighborhood boy and so there are moments where yeah there are moments where i sit back and go fucking crazy <laughs> crazy i got um i got to interview i did the only tv interview i think in 40 years maybe more 
with Prince Charles. So I, they said, hey, can you come to, uh, can you come to England? I was, I actually, honestly, I had the summer off. I fucking bought a $500 kayak. I was in California and I went kayaking on the ocean. I'm like, I just need to get in shape. I need to get away from work, whatever. I had my phone inside my fucking jacket pocket on the fucking, on the ocean. And I got a call, I was like, hey, I'm like, yeah, yeah. So the Prince Charles interview, like he will do it. Do you want to do it? And I was like, like when? <laughs> and it was like a Monday and they said, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. And I went, Oh fuck. <laughs> so no word of a lie. I turned the kayak around. I paddled back to the shore, put it in the back of my pickup truck. No, it was my El Camino. Put it in my El Camino. I drove. I have a place in LA uh, that I've been living in for a long time. I drove into town, into Hollywood. I walked into a clothing store and I went, uh, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll try this on. Okay, cool. Cool. Great. Thank you. I went home. I showered. I put it in a, in a backpack and I went to the airport. Wow. And then, so I, I'm in, I'm in uh, Clarence house where the prince lives. And now, oh, and now so they, they're escorting me down this, through this other, cause they're all kind of connected. They're escorting me through this room. And I looked at it and I saw this fireplace with a hearth that had car- old, it's clearly very old. And it was, had HA carved into it. And on the end, it had H. And I said, why does it have HA? And why does that have H on the other side of the fireplace? And then the person who was taking me in said, well, this fireplace was built by Henry VIII. And he got it for him and his wife, him and Anne Boleyn. <laughs> but she was dead by the time they finished the fireplace. So they just put an H. And I, I looked at him and went, are you serious? He's like, oh, this is fucking weird, man. <laughs> so in my head, it was kind of. I kind of went, Jesus Christ, what a strange career. What a weird. <laughs> I love it. I love how you have like all these moments where it's just like, what is life right now? All the time. Yeah. It, happens all, it happens all the time. But you know, the secret to it is, and I was very lucky speaking of one of those moments. I remember I, I got to spend some time with Neil Armstrong and the first person that walked on the moon. And I was standing beside him at the end of a, this event. And I'm just leaning against the wall. I'm tired. He's there. I said, Good night. He's like, yeah, it was a good night. Cool. I said, it's fascinating to me how you say he was telling the story of going to the moon and he kept referring to himself as a technician going to the job site. Mm, interesting. I said, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, he goes, that's uh, that's one of the ways that you, you know, you don't, you don't get overwhelmed by the situation. Mm. And I just went, well, if fucking Neil Armstrong says he's a technician going to the job site, then I'm just a technician going to the job site. <laughs> Neil dropping bars right there. You know? <laughs> what is he? Quick, check this out. He, I can't tell the story, but I'll just say this. <laughs> he told a story. I was at this thing. Yeah. He told a story. There was a few of us around. I can't believe this even happened. I can't believe I was even there. And he... He never mentioned the word the moon. He just said technician on the job site. We were just sitting outside talking, just at this thing. And then Neil says, like after 20 minutes into this amazing story about the day. Yeah. And they said, and so there we were. Like there I was on the moon, just as the moon appeared over the horizon. And he fucking timed it because he knows he knew the, he knew it, right? He knew when the moon was going to show up and he was doing it for effect. And he's like, so there I was 
on the moon, moon appears. <laughs> just, like this. We're just like, fuck off, man, that's crazy. <laughs> just using the Earth as special that. effects to add to his yeah, <laughs> Yo, that's cool. What a showman. I never knew that. I didn't know that either. But then yeah. you see the little smart smirk, right? The little glint in the eye. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're special. You got, of course he's special. He's fucking Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Oh, man, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah, George, we're almost at an hour. I feel like I could talk to you for a week. Well, well I, I mean, I'm I'm still good for a little while. So you do do whatever you want, but I don't want to bore you with with I'm telling too many long stories. Oh, I, I'm I'm loving this though too, man. But uh, yeah, even like um, again, I I want to appreciate or say I appreciate your time and everything today. Um, also to let people know if they want to check out all things that is George is on strombo.com subscribe to the YouTube. He's got an app for the weekly Strombo show. And again, like I actually want to ask you uh, about doing the Strombo show, like every week, every week, uh, you're committed to this and like kind of what, what keeps you going after like all these years of, of just doing this. Well, that see the records behind me. I mean, I've got stacks of hard drives filled with music um and i just love playing records when i when i finally went to humber college and didn't like i didn't know what i was going to do i it occurred to me in that moment like a truth and sometimes you get the truth right away and no matter where you are in your journey that first truth is the truth um and the same truth for me is playing songs on the radio at night if i could have made a living doing that i'd have done it and i did for a little i wasn't making a living in radio because you, you fucking there's no money but i but i had fun and i learned how to do it playing songs on the radio brings me immense joy yeah is that like your place of zen just like nighttime music and then Boom! Doesn't feel like work. It's just you're just totally. If I if I could, I can't uh, tilt the computer because it's locked into this thing. But the ceiling lights in my house, the, like some of them have fallen out and are dangling because I play it so loud in here. The vibrations shake the lights out of my house. Um, so I do these DJ sets on the weekends from here during the during the cove and during the big one nine and. I have it so loud in here and I just do it on Instagram. If you're watching cool, if you're not watching cool, I'm, I'm just playing and especially for the Instagram. I just like, I was watching all these DJ sets live, but I found that a lot of the DJs were just playing. They were still doing DJ sets. Like they were in a club. Oh uh, yeah. And I'm like, yo, bro, 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 dude, play the fucking hits. So I decided to, I just one night without planning it, sat down. I got my 808 here and I just fucking boom. Man, I just started playing grunge classics, hit after hit after hit after hit. And then I was like, holy fuck, I feel really good. Like, I feel good playing these songs. Mm. So I just, I, I, I do it because it's the reason why I do this on the Strombo Show. It, it's just, I just love, I just, it feels great. You know, what could be better than play, like somebody at home for the first time hearing a song that could maybe be the song that plays at their wedding or their funeral or becomes a song. Like, well, that's the gift that's been given to me or to you. That's our gift. We have to pass it on. Yeah, it's all energy and just sharing that and good beyond energy, good energy, which is uh, I'm all about, man. And the media is full of bastards, man. It's full of bastards, and you can't be one of them. You yeah. you can't be one of them. You got to make a choice, right? Yeah, it's so great true. people in it too. I even see like so many interview channels up right now, and uh, 
I'm kind of connected to like the hip hop scene, battle rap and stuff like that. And the way they interview people, it's like they're digging for drama and not really like putting people like saying what's good about them, you know? And I, it's I an find interesting, like, it's an interesting era for that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's getting like all the hits and stuff, but um, kind of in my position too, I don't know, like, like I mentioned earlier, like uh, I'm influenced by guys like you, guys like Ed, Tom Green, and I'm just going to keep doing my thing, even if it's a slower burn or whatever, but because I think it's important, you know? The key to a burn isn't um, the speed of it. It's the duration, right? It's the yeah. duration. So take a look at who has careers that have lasted a long time and are varied and are uh, still relevant, right? Those are the ones that aren't out there tearing people down. Yeah, Unless you're talking I'm... about Fox News. When I say the media are bastards, I mean the companies and the shareholders, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and the shittiness and how, you know, the racism and all that stuff that exists. So there is, I understand the clout chasing game that everybody does in, 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 in hip hop media now, I get it. Um, it would be disingenuous for me to do it because I mean, I used to make fun of bands on much music back in the day and I still feel terribly about that. Yeah. I still, cause I was like, what the fuck was I 27 years old thinking I knew, you know, I was stupid. I was a kid. Other people want to do it. Other, other genres. That's a thing right now. I have no judgment on it, but it's not how I built my career really. Cause when I did it, I was also, the reason I was attacking some bands is cause I was building up all these bands and I realized the building, is way more interesting than the tearing down. So I, I abandoned that and went straight to the build. Yeah. Look, yeah. you still got to do jokes and be funny, and you're gonna have point of view and value. I get all this. There's room for you. Don't have to be fucking super sweet all the time. Yeah, but definitely. If, but in your career, if you are not, like, what's the point of talking to some about somebody to somebody who's had a shitty day at home, shitty day at work? They put on your podcast. Are you making them stupider? Are you making them feel worse about themselves? Are you making them feel worse about the world? I'm not talking about the cloud chasing stuff. I just mean media in general. Yeah, yeah. Just being conscious of what you're projecting. But you also have to challenge them to be better and more open and all that other stuff. So you can't, it's not, you're not like just being there. We're not there to enable people's bad behaviors. We're there to fucking move the culture ball forward. And I always liked that. Metal was, metal was really punk. But that's, so metal to me was why I always knew I was going to be okay. And punk was what made me want to make sure that you were okay, mm. right? And I feel so lucky that in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was really listening to music as a kid, the fucking metal and the punk had zero interest in opting in to yeah. brand culture into the system. Yeah, they were just on their own lane, you know? Like, yeah, I didn't want to fucking, like this idea that everybody wants to fucking opt into a brand. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I get it, but also, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that's the trend now. It's almost like uh, people kind of doing things because they see somebody else doing, but they just become a watered down version of whatever that person's doing and not like kind of going in their own. And I don't, and I ain't mad at hip hop for it because of this reason. And living in America for as long as I have over the years, um, the systemic racism is so insane there and so clearly dangerous that. There are a lot of young kids who, thanks to Soldier Boy and SoundCloud and Instagram, they're buying houses with cash because mm -hmm. they're doing it their own way now. So I have respect for that. Yeah. Right. And 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 the industry 
didn't pay attention to them for a long time. And now they're out there getting fucking paid. Yeah. So good for them. They're yeah, that's almost punk rock on their own too. You 100%. Know? Like they're just not, but, but lyrically it's not. Yeah, yeah. Everything else is, but like, lyrically it's a different path. Yeah, definitely. But um, George, I want to say too, once this COVID's over, if I catch you at a power sh- trip show or like anything like that, I'm giving you a hug and buying you a beer, man. It just I'm down. It'll have to be an O'Doul's. You know who I want to do next? And I'll take that. Thank you. Is the next band I want in here is Creeping Death. Oh, yeah. They're, They're good. my two favorite metal bands. So Power Trip is like, I think, you know, I love them. But of the, of the records that came out at the end of the, in last year, Creeping Death and Venom Prison are the Venom Prison album is so amazing. The Creeping Death records. So those are the two that I, I just like, gotta get those artists in here. Yeah, yeah. Also, shout outs to uh, my pal Ola Mazuka. She uh, actually reps Creeping Death when they're in Canada as a publicist. So she set up an interview with me and Trey. Yeah, oh, right on, right on. Yeah, she's the legend and uh, she's been helping the show a lot. So I just want to send some love to her as well. Ola's metal. All this fucking metal to the core. Like, yeah, I love, like, I love all that. Again, I, lots of people like know her from the hip hop scene as well too. But uh, we've had some like deep conversations. Even she grew up just like shredding guitars and playing like death and everything. Like, what a woman! <laughs> all is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, shout outs to her. Shout outs to you, George. Man, uh, again, thank you so much. Always projecting energy of excellence and just being an awesome guy and uh, spending time with me today, man. I, no, my pleasure. I can't thank you, you enough, having, man. man. Anytime. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I'm going to let you get back to writing, man. I hope you have a great fucking day. And yeah, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you, my friend. Much yeah. love to you. Thank you. Ah, what a talk. I've been dying to meet that guy. Sounded like we were old friends or something. That was cool. But yeah, in this episode, we talked a lot about metal and like always, I'm going to end with a song And I know this song's not going to be for everybody, but um, he also mentioned um, one thing on his wish list of the House of Strombo for Metal Axe is to get Creeping Death in there. Um, If you're not familiar with Creeping Death, they're on the front lines of the new class, holding the torch of all that is metal. And yeah, just listen to this riff. This crushes. (laughs) So, warning, if you're not into this kind of stuff, you can turn it off right now. But thanks for joining me. And, yeah, I'll catch you with another episode later this weekend. Okay? It's good to be back. I'm going to crank this in celebration. Here's Creeping Death with their song, Ripping Through Flesh. (laughs) See ya.